0: You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 132.
1: Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman.
0: Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the second part of my interview with voice actor and dialect expert Eliza Jane Schneider. You may be familiar with her work voicing all the female characters on the animated series South Park in the years between 1999 and 2003. Eliza and I have also been in a number of projects together, including Diablo III, where I played the male wizard and she played the female necromancer. And also the Pirates of the Caribbean video games, where I voice match Orlando Bloom to play Will Turner, while she voice matches Keira Knightley to play Elizabeth Swan. In addition to her many acting accomplishments, Eliza is incredibly dedicated to the study and mastery of English-language dialects. She is a highly sought-after accent coach, and I'm very happy to have her on the podcast to share her insight and expertise with all my listeners. In the previous episode, Eliza told us how she broke into the entertainment industry, first as an on-camera actress and later as a voice actress. In this segment of our interview, we discuss her dialect work and how her music training as a young girl helped inform her technique for mastering different accents. Her ability to hear fine nuances in how people pronounce their words has allowed her to create her own unique way of teaching accents to performers. In fact, in this episode, she puts me through my paces and helps me improve my own Australian accent. I think you'll find her insight as enlightening as I did.
1: And now, the feature segment.
0: So what I'd love to do now is to talk a little more in detail about your dialect work, since that's probably what uh, you're most famous for is, I mean, I don't know anyone else who's gone around in an ambulance uh, interviewing so many people around the world. Um, Why do you think you're so fascinated with dialects?
2: Well, I mean, my father used to do a bunch of different dialects and accents around the house. Um, but when I was seven, I started studying Suzuki violin mm. method, which is an ear training method. So at a very young age, my brain was set up to mimic and to um, really listen deeply. So and, that's, you know,
0: that's interesting. I'm not really f- – it's funny. I know the Suzuki actor training method, but I'm not familiar with the Suzuki uh, instrument. Training method. I've heard of it, but how does it work? What how does the ear training work?
2: So they take uh, kids and they just play these these sonatas for them, or or you know concertos, and they um, listen over and over and over. It's immersion, and then they uh, give them the tools with scales and etudes and and uh, exercises to basically um, create that uh, music on their violin the same way one would hear a song and sing a song with your voice. Um, and so, uh, you don't read music right off the bat. You know, it doesn't start with sheet music or, or any sort of, it's, it's actually, it's exactly what I'm doing with teaching dialects. I don't start with sound substitutions and IPA and, you know, um, going through drill exercises. I, I, give them the vocal posture and i give them the the sounds so fast i i loop them and i get it to them so fast that they don't have the time to think about it and then and they just reproduce it so it's it's a it's a mimicry it's an immersion and mimicry
0: fascinating see that's really interesting because when i was young my parents had me take piano lessons and the piano is the type of device where you can technically create sounds Without necessarily using your ears, because the piano will always play the same note no matter what. But mm-hmm. on a violin, because you've got no frets and your mm-hmm. fingering really decides the tonality and slight shifts in your fingers change the pitch of the note. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's that's really interesting that they said, no, we're not going to go from a, a sight reading or a technical way, left brain way of doing this. You need to be able to hear what you're doing mm-hmm. so that you can make those tiny adjustments to make sure you are getting the sound you want. It's it's not a formula that needs to be executed. It's a, a, a sonic uh, signature that you're trying to accomplish. And therefore, you're going to do whatever is necessary to try to get that sound. Yeah. So And, of course, that has informed all of your dialect work because you're doing it from that immersion standpoint rather than – IPA uh, IPA is the International Phonetic Alphabet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that is, again, a technical way to code the phonemes of the English language so that anyone reading them can see exactly what mouth shapes and which sounds people are making – but it's like the notes on the page. It's not the same as actually hearing it and immersing yourself in the sound of what's going on.
2: Yeah. And again, that leads me to this idea that you can't really separate character from the sound of a voice. So um, when I have my students go into a, a native speaker sample, I have them channel that person, take that, that character on. And I don't separate dialect from character voice at the beginning. Mm. Um, I... I get them to acquire every tool that that other speaker has and then we separate some out we sort of you know how like you in 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 session they might say to go far and then pull it back Uh uh-huh you know that's what we do we go a hundred percent into the character and then we pull maybe we pull out the fact that she's eight We say, okay, let's let's give you a age thirty, you know, and let's age our voice. Let's add these elements. Let's take these out. But when you first take it on, I find that my students get seventy five percent of the way there, at least, if not eighty five to ninety five percent of the way there, just through this immersion process. And it is so expedited relative to what you and I have learned in. In school, you know, in theater school, it takes six months to take on this stuff. Yeah, I
0: mean, I had my Juilliard uh, voice teacher in grad school who had her Edith Skinner book with the IPA Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, And it's true. It's not the way I learned accents either. Um, It was through an immersion and through trying to imitate different characters so do you do it's still a similar process then from your old Roland with the pads where you're doing it sort of very quickly the sound over and over again to get people into the emotional mindset of the character before they start thinking of technical stuff
2: yes yes and also not just the emotions but sort of this mindless mimicry you know
0: Right, um, so you, it's a, you're getting a sort of muscle memory because you're getting yeah. them to do it so quick that their analytical brain can't engage. Exactly, you're you're trying to get their physicality and and their sort of body wisdom to engage with what's going on.
2: Yes, and there's some new brain science that just came out. I mean, what? I- yeah. Well, I mean, it's not it's not new. Like whenever science says there's a new scientific it's a new study. It's not like this is a new thing that people's <laughs> brains suddenly started doing. But um you know, they have terms for it now. So it was so funny. I just did a presentation of this method. You know, I I I've been leery of academia. Um I don't uh academia did not embrace me.
0: <laughs> me neither. For all of my intellectual pursuits, academia and I don't always get along.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So enough said there. But I um, I never really presented my methods to the Voice and Speech Teachers Association. I'm a member, but I, I, just this last summer, they had a conference in Singapore, and Singapore was the last country in the world where English is a first language that I had yet to record. Hmm. At this but point, so how is it here,
0: possible after all of your work, and especially because you studied with the Henry Higgins of Hollywood, right? um, you were his protege, uh, and his mm-hmm. name again? It was Easton, yes.
2: It was Robert Easton, and and I I worked with him on the ten volume encyclopedic textbook of the dialects of spoken English with accompanying digital recordings. Um, how is you know, it
0: possible that you had not, until this year or last year, been requested by this voice and dialects organization to present? How how has it been this long before they asked you to present something?
2: Um, I think because I've sort of been in hiding. I mean, <laughs> I, like, well, I mean, you know, there there's a rift between the practitioners and the academics. First of all, okay, you know, there's there's a cultural, there's a there's a stigma, there's you know, there's some, um, I think. Not jealousy necessarily, but uh, you know, my way is better than your way, kind of way thing. Um, I think we call that jealousy. <laughs> um, but but so you know, there there isn't a lot of communication in between, and I expected to find. And it it was probably more me than it was them. I mean, certainly they never reached out to me, but I don't think they knew about me because I wasn't really trying to reach out to them. Uh. Um, But, uh, you know, when I finally did, I expected to be in this, you know, room this cold big room with two old guys old white guys drooling on themselves and falling asleep and you know watching very ill-attended presentations about something from the great vowel shift from 200 years ago that was just rediscovered or something and and that is not what i got what i got in singapore um was just this incredible wealth of experts in the voice and voice actors from other countries um, You know, who who are also professors now. I, I just basically I found myself so far down my own personal international geek alley with all of the other geeks that that appreciated the stuff. There was a Balinese monkey chanting expert. Uh, there was a <sighs> like do you say jock stuff? Yes. Like,
0: oh, my God. Okay.
2: And there was a Tibetan throat singing guy from Tibet. There was a Mongolian, uh, was it Mongolian? It was, uh, I have to look at my program, but you know, at a certain point I was looking at my program and trying to decide between uh, a, a workshop on global empathy and teaching indigenous actors their own accents. And I was like, how did I find myself in heaven? I'm in heaven. You know, and, and, um, and my my particular workshop which was on voice matching techniques and how to use those for dialects and accents and basically how to nail an accent with no time um because we do not have the luxury of time uh it was very well attended there were people sitting around the, on the floor and everybody was coming up after me afterwards and talking to me and saying they want me to come back as a master presenter the next year and and then this guy Doran from the Royal Academy of whatever said <laughs> you know you know there's brain science that that backs up why your methods are so effective and I said, thank god oh thank god and so he he forwarded me the uh the brain it, science if
0: not for the brain science you wouldn't do it anymore right right <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, but it, it's really cool to to see, have that kind of validation and you know i sure. got to i had some australian dialect coaches who do this for a living come up behind my mic and i taught them a nigerian accent within minutes you wow. know um and and it, it was it was really, you know, very Shazam and very sort of magic showy. And it was fun. It was very validating. For
0: so me. would you be willing to share with us how, how your method works? Sure. Okay. Can can you teach <laughs> me to do a Nigerian accent?
2: Um well I would have to set up my technology to do so, or oh, you I see. could do it, you could do it. I um, could do it, yeah. I could, you know, it might take a, a few minutes here, but um,
1: oh, I, would, awesome. I would
2: ask you to sign on to my site and I would give you login to my site where I host my recordings. Um, there are two sites where I'm making these native speaker recordings available. Of course, you could grab a native speaker from YouTube and do that, you know, YouTube to MP3 for anything that you wanted as well. Uh-huh. And I also have a whole list of resources on my site of places you can find authentic native speaker samples. Um, I have the Dialect database where I'm uploading uh, these things, and I'm hoping to really launch that in 2018 um, and get as much of these 7,000 interviews up there as possible. Wow. Um, And I also have my site, my website, competitiveedgevoicetraining.com. Okay. uh, which Which is the site where I host my curriculum. Um, so uh, Robert Easton and I had this ongoing argument where I would say, I don't think you can teach dialects in a book. And he would say, nonsense, you know, and because and, he didn't really embrace or understand uh, media. Yeah. It, like, you know, C.D. He's, he coached a video game once and he used to call it that game show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, for so long, people were still calling them CD-ROMs. And I'm like, you do realize we haven't <laughs> been using CD-ROMs since 1999. Like, what yeah. are you talking about?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, uh,
0: so just walk me through the process then. So you would yeah. have a recording of an authentic Nigerian-accented yes. speaker.
2: So you get a, a record, a very short recording. And then um, you take... A, Three elements of that recording, uh, three pieces of that recording, and I don't want them to be any longer than a phone number. Like, ba 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 ba. Nothing that you have to write down. Nothing that you have to focus to try to remember. Just enough that you grab it, you imitate it. Okay. Okay. So, so you take one little piece like that. Let's say with Nigerian, it's um, uh, let's let me try to remember my. Nigerian springboard would be, um... well, with Elizabeth Swan, it was that signal is over 1,000 feet high. So that's, that's enough for the first one. Then you loop that 14 times.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You mute numbers four, six, eight, and 10. Then you play that back in your left ear. You pan it all the way left. You uh, open up a new track to record yourself. You pan that track all the way right. You play back your loops with the pauses. And it's important that those pauses are timed with the exact same amount of space as the uh, sample itself so that you get into a sort of chanting mode.
0: Right. And I, when you, so you're basically muting every other version, right? Well, when
2: you get to number four, you're muting every muting. other one. Oh, okay. And then 11, 12, 13, and 14, you're speaking along with it.
0: Oh, I see. So basically, what you're setting up is. Uh, you, you mimic, you mimic, you mimic, and then there's, a, there's an empty space where you have to do it. But because that space is exactly the same amount of time as the three before it, you can know whether your tempo is accurate, right? Exactly. We, and so you get that, and then you get the reminder again on uh, sample mm-hmm. five, and then you try it again. And then by the end of it, hopefully you've mastered it so much that you can do it with them at the end, and there's no discrepancy between your version of the accent and the original.
2: Yes, and there 's sort of a sing songy thing that happens where the student will continue to repeat after those four are done and hone it in and hone it in and hone it in there 's this wonderful little magic that occurs right around number eleven, twelve, and thirteen where you just nail it wow. and then and then you um, and then you keep doing it so you can hear yourself doing it, and you can tweak those few minor things that are left over. And then the most important step is to play the whole thing back and step back and now you're switching over. And so what this brain science said in this article was not only, you know, is the experiential part of your brain a different part of the brain than the, the analytical part. We all know that. But the fact that physically they're mutually exclusive. One turns off when the other turns on. So you literally cannot be acting. You cannot be in the experiential brain and the analytical brain simultaneously.
0: Fascinating. So this is really interesting because uh, this mimics um, a conceptual framework that I use when I'm talking to my students that I basically stole from Meyerholtz Biomechanics is this notion that there's a technical actor in you and an emotional actor in you and they're sort of left and right brain. And the mm-hmm. idea is that the, the, so many people try to solve their acting problems with their technical actor. Right. But it's the, actually the emotional actor in you that's really going to solve the problems. Like there's a certain level of technical mastery, like practicing the notes on an instrument that you need to internalize. Absolutely. But once you've got that technique internalized, it's the emotional side of you that has to take over if it's going to be believable and compelling. Right and and I know that was the that was the experience for me I, I know you talked about how. With Elizabeth Swann, when you were doing it for Disney Character Voices, how exacting the people at Disney Character Voices could be about the, the voice matching. And mm-hmm. I had that experience absolutely. I'd be in the video game studio recording something, and I thought I'd done pretty well. And the, the Disney person would go, mm, it, on this word, it wasn't quite, quite Will Turnerish enough. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so right. exacting. Yeah. And,
2: and with I, Kira, it would be like, I'd be right there. I'd be like that signal is over a thousand feet high. And she'd be like, do the jaw thing again. I mean, <laughs> That signal is over a thousand feet high. And it really did
0: change yeah, it. And it works. And and I remember being in the booth and thinking, I I, I have, uh, like you, I have a playlist of all the clips that I practice in the car as I'm going to my gig. And I felt like I had really mastered all the technical stuff. And I remember them saying, we're still not satisfied. And right? I said, you're right. It doesn't quite sound right. And I remember having to come up with this image of like Orlando Bloom's face and as if it were a mask going over my own face like that yeah. was the, that was the metaphor of me trying to put myself in the emotional mind space of Orlando and yeah. when I did that that's when it worked now if I hadn't done all the technical practice before I wouldn't have even been in the ballpark to be able to right. pull that off but the the last or 15% was uh, absolutely had to do with the emotional center of the character. Without that, it was just me being vowel substitutions and technical actor.
2: Right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure (laughs) still, you know, half of my auditions aren't that great because I just don't have a lot of time and I I, you know, I get into the technical stuff and I, I want to nail the accent and then I just don't have time to do that next step into the emotions or in the past it was like that. So you, but
0: you also used a term uh, springboard, which I've heard you say in other interviews. And yeah. uh, so talk to me about what a springboard is. You talked about your well, springboard. I think
2: it's a sort of a, a term I coined or appropriated from my work. And it's, it's, we call it a springboard because once, so you do that looping 14 times repeating process. You do that whole thing three times. You play it back. You do it again. You play it back. You do it again. Then you take a break and you do that whole process three days in a row. And you do that whole process three days in a row with three little lines like that. So you end up with a full-on phrase. And that full-on phrase you end up with after three days is your springboard. And I have found that that springboard creates the vocal posture that you need to improvise and begin to apply this dialect to new copy. Um, in that process, after you've created your first springboard, I have you submit your homework to me, which you submit as your best takes, like you and I would do for a voice matching audition. Uh-huh. So you, you go through that process and then you pull your best takes of each of the three lines in the, that comprise the springboard. And then... You uh, send them back to me with the native speaker still in there. So it's native speaker you, native speaker you, native speaker you. And then um, I listen to that. And then in class is the fun part. In class is where all the ear training happens, um, where we all get on a zoom link together and there are people from all over the world on this i've got people in australia who are up at two o'clock in the morning you know, oh doing this i
0: know us. right i always yeah. feel so bad for my australian students and my new zealand students because they have to get up yeah. so early in the morning
2: right so uh so we go through this and and uh I listen and, you know, they get the benefit of my 25 years of ear training. And it's so awesome to watch them, watch their ears get more and more in tune. Because ear training is just a matter of, you're not hearing something. You know, Robert Easton always used to say, the mouth has trouble saying things the ear is not accustomed to hearing. And the ear has trouble hearing things the mouth is not accustomed to saying. So the minute your coach comes in and says... Do you hear that, you know, like for example, the Australian O and I demonstrate, okay, you're saying O like a a British person, which is starting with the E in the front of your mouth and then going to an American O like what we do. It's a trip thong and there's three elements to it. So I want you to take your thumb and depress your tongue in the middle and I demonstrate that for them. So there's sort of a a thumbprint, and their tongue is sort of boat-shaped. And that's that's where your tongue is for the sound uh, as in up. Um, I use the F word to demonstrate that because it's the only word that transculturally everybody pronounces the same. Um, <laughs> like Kodak. <clears throat> exactly. Um, yeah, so, so uh, and then I say, now take that part of your tongue that's depressed and go directly up to the depression in the top of your mouth and say e ee which is halfway between e and u. so do that with your tongue so they do this little tongue up and then i say now round your lips slightly at the corners and i demonstrate that and so then they're saying i oh and that's the australian o right oh no I, right no yeah yeah so you're rounding your lips too much you're saying o, oh no right so you want to keep your lips sort of pursed at the corners but more in an E position. So you're saying oh,
0: Oh. No.
2: You're, you're still rounding still your lips, So rounding the I o too much. It.
0: Interesting. Okay.
2: I yeah, saying I know. Oh no. Yeah, so think of it like you're saying uh E. Uh E. So say I. I. Now round your lips slightly. I.
0: I. I. I know. I know.
2: Yep, that's it.
0: Ah, interesting.
2: Oh, my God. It's almost like a
0: trumpet amateur.
2: Right? Yes. Yes. So so we do this and we have all our little geeky epiphanies and discoveries. But once I've identified these things for the student and once they've wrapped their mouth around it, their ear begins to hear it. And that's what ear training is. The ear just starts to hear the sounds it wasn't hearing before.
0: Gotcha. And then that springboard, it's funny, I, the, the the term I've used in the past is a pitch pipe line. Like that's the line that helps me as mm-hmm. if I were singing in a group, I play on the pitch pipe and then I'm in the character and I, I have one for just about every character that I do voice matching for and for accents too and I never thought of it as a springboard. But I, I love what Easton was saying and, and what, you, what you were saying about this idea of if you can't hear it, there's no way you can make the sound and if you can't make the sound, you can't hear it. That's, that's yeah. really fascinating.
2: And I think his choice of words is important too accustomed
0: yeah yeah are you accustomed right? to it is it something that you're yeah like i'm i'm not accustomed to the the zulu click yeah and, and and it's really i've i've never quite been able to figure out how to do that um but well
2: there's three of them
0: oh see of course you would there's know. three
2: of them and those in, tos, in Posa. There's there's the one that's up behind your your tongue blade. So there's the tip of the tongue, which is the very tip, the uh-huh. edge. And then there's the blade, which is just behind that. The blade of your tongue is up behind your top teeth. And you're sort of clicking and sucking in like for a horse. Like there's that one. Uh-huh. And then there's the middle one, which is the center of your tongue pulling off of the depression in the roof of your mouth. like that. Wow. And then there's a back one, which is even harder to do. Oh my but, god. But but the center one. See, we're not used to using the center of our tongue like that. We are not accustomed to, to doing that with our mouths sure so so at this stage, so, so you do your practice for three days and then and then you, you meet with me, and I, I correct you and, and I tune your ear and your mouth into certain things, and then I give you kinesthetic exercises to to uh, work those muscles around so that you know you 're however old you are many years of history of speaking the English language in a particular way gets a little help <laughs> in order to achieve sounds from another language base, you know,
0: wow. another sound
2: structure. And and those are your scales that you do for the next couple of weeks. And then when you come back in and you perform your springboard again, you're generally perfect, just spot on, just like Anna Devere Smith. And then you can springboard from that because you're, you're see, the music metaphor is so great, Crispin, because it's like each new dialect is actually a different instrument mm. and your the shape of your mouth your vocal posture the the Retraction of the tongue, the stretching of the pharynx, the narrowing of the front, you know, of the mouth, the the how wide, how how much of the mandible, uh, how much distance your mandible gets from the roof of your mouth. All of these micro increments, you know, and all those little micro muscles within your within your vocal tract and your tongue they shape these tiny little instruments. And so the Australian is a violin, whereas the uh, Russian is a French horn. You know, it's a different shaped instrument. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of the different dialects as different instruments, and then you think of each monologue or character voice as a piece of music that that instrument is playing, then you really open up, all dialects and accents when people say oh what dialects and accents can you do you can say yes all of them because all you need is a sample
0: wow that's fascinating so if people are interested in this work the website again is
2: oh it's Mm dialectmasterclass.com that's dialectmasterclass.com and that again is (laughs) dialectmasterclass.com so that's um that's You could go there, and in the upper left-hand corner, you can click on a button for a free webinar. And the free webinar, it's free, it's it's 90 minutes, and um, you get the opportunity to join the class through that webinar. But I want people to do that first because I want them to really understand this method um, and know if it's something that they think they can put the time in to do. Mm-hmm. Um, before they sign up for the class. But you can sign up for the class through that, and uh, you can take the free webinar through that. You can also go to, I think it's http forward slash forward slash colon <laughs> app, app uh, oh gosh, webinar.dialectmasterclass.com. That's the direct link to the free webinar. But dialectmasterclass.com will give you everything you need. And, um, and that's how you get in on the class and there are various levels. Um, and you I will can make join. Sh-
0: yeah, I'll make sure to include links to all of that in the blog post associated with this episode um, okay. on the website so that people can just go to the to the post on voiceactingmaster.com where this episode is, and there will be links there that'll take you straight to Eliza's uh, websites.
2: Yeah, and so that that's on demand. So you can, you know, I have all these modules and instructional videos and the three prong method, the uh, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. Everything's up there, um, and you can get in for a certain price if you just want to do it as a home study course, or if you want to be live with us, um, that's a different investment. And then. Um, there's an advanced class and a beginning class now that's going on. So the beginning class covers the most commercially viable dialects, the ones that people ask for the most, mm-hmm. um, which is General American, British RP, British Regional, Southern Hemisphere, Englishes, Australian, New Zealand, and South Africa is the third module. And then we go into New York dialects, um, American Southern dialects. I've got about 27 of them up there you can choose from. And um, Russian, French, uh, Russian, French, Irish, and um, German. So that's, wow. that's, that's the beginning class.
0: <laughs> <laughs> little things, little things.
2: And then uh, the advanced class, you get to choose your own because at that point you've mastered the principle. You take the, the beginning class first, but then at that point, my, my ongoing students, they were doing Scottish and Pakistani and um, uh, Italian and just a bunch of new stuff these
0: days so when people are wanting to learn these accents what Mm -hmm. what attributes do you think are most important what do they need to focus on what 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 is i mean clearly they need you want them to do this webinar because they clearly need to be able to commit to being interested enough to learning this but is there some skill set they should have is there some i mean should they go get suzuki violin training like what what is what do they need to focus on when they're trying to learn these accents with you
2: with me or it, without me?
0: Well, ostensibly with you. or <laughs> In general, what do you think are, are the most important attributes that someone needs to have in order to be able to learn dialects effectively?
2: Um, I think that, you know, as far as my students that, that show the most progress and do the best, it's the same as the students that show the most progress and do the best with anything. They have tenacity and they have um, focus. And, um, they're willing to put some time in to do their homework. Uh, and, uh, I think, but as far as like learning on your own, the most important thing to do is grab real authentic samples of real people speaking, Mm -hmm. um, and listen, 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 listen. I mean, it really is all about learning to listen, um, not just to the samples, but to yourself,
0: yeah. Um, you know, that's funny. Uh, there have been times, and I've heard people, even in voiceover classes, they'll ask them to change something about the way they speak, and they don't. It's as if they're not even aware that they're nasal or that they have mm-hmm. a certain regionalism. They can't hear themselves.
2: Right. And then there's the way that you hear yourself and the way others hear you and trying to... That's why we. That's why I say the most important step of this is playing back your recording. Yeah. Because to hear yourself the way others hear you. And that that... Goes into everything else that I teach. Cause so I teach the dialects and accents for actors, but I also teach what they refer to as accent reduction for, um, for international professionals and actors as well. You know, the American mm. accent and to be able to hear yourself as a litigator, for example, the way other people hear you and to understand what they're hearing versus what you're versus what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the biggest hump. To get over in terms of changing or improving your voice or or adjusting your voice or it's all the same stuff that that's where dialects and, you know, powerful voices and character voices and, you know, accents and accent reduction and all this stuff intersects. It's all about learning to listen.
0: So how does one how do you help someone who has a hard time hearing what they sound like? How do you help them hear themselves better?
2: Um, well, I, I find that it's uh, a practice that we're out of. You know, we're a very, very, very visual society because of electricity. Yeah. We we don't have to see in the... We don't have to hear things in the dark anymore. Right. You know, there are lights everywhere. Yeah. So there are elements of our hearing that we just don't use. And what was wonderful in this last year is I had a, a partially deaf student who's a voice actress. Ooh. And she has testified that she is able to hear and speak better now. Um wow. Just because of the practice. You know, it's it's just it's practice. So is it your
0: your uh is it the 16 uh versions of the clip that you then mute ones is is that technique what's helps them hear themselves better? Well, it's or? playing
2: themselves back. Yeah. Um, and listening to the sample and then listening to themselves and then the process of me identifying for them any remaining discrepancies and then hearing them for the first time.
0: Ah, so, it's, so you'll play, yeah. You'll play. they'll hear themselves back on the recording and then mm-hmm. you will point out, ah, on this vowel or this phoneme, you mm-hmm. did this. Can you hear mm-hmm. that? And then their lies, eyes light up and they go, yes. oh my gosh, I can hear that now. Yes. Okay, so it takes you pointing out to them their patterns for them to recognize them
2: only for the remaining you know 25 to 5 percent that they're not getting just by using this simple looping process
0: right right yeah mu- much of it they're getting through the looping process but there's going to be a little like it, t- it took y- years for someone to point out to me that i have i often do the midwestern thing of substituting the tr sound with a ch tree right so not 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 tradition but tradition like i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll make it a ch sound and I, it, like yeah. that wasn't until i was probably maybe in my 30s that somebody pointed that out to me and i went oh my god i totally do do that and here i was thinking i had completely removed all regionalisms from my speech nope <laughs> not so much um uh, so that's yeah, yeah the importance of of recording and hearing back are there any uh, common mistakes that people make when they're trying to learn accents, or well, re- you
2: know, they're different for different dialects. Obviously, for the British, the 164 words that British people pronounce with the ah sound, and Americans will pronounce with the ah sound,
1: mm-hmm.
2: mixing those up, or or sort of uniformly adding an intermediate ah. For like man and after, that only happens with, uh, you know, the northern dialects and other regions of England. But when they're trying to do that RP and they merge and make all of the short A sounds um, an intermediate A, that's that's like for British, that would be the, the most common mistake.
0: Right. And for my listeners who don't know, RP stands for Received Pronunciation, otherwise it's... known as the Queen's English. So it's the most sort of proper, um, supposedly... BBC neutral British accent. Um, yes, it's a complete construction. And, but
2: yes, <laughs> as is general American, Mid Atlantic, and SSE, which is the Scottish standard. Um, they just don't really exist. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they exist in fabrication. They exist in in public schools, which are the private schools of of the UK. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. They're so, studied. and and
0: do people people do uh. They, they miss substitute right? You were saying that they, they do the intermediate A for th- that exists in sort right. of northern accents but doesn't always exist in, in RP right. or in southern accents. It's- and is that just a matter of uh, they just don't know? They're just not being rigorous enough?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, most people don't know that there are 164 words basically that, that do that. And they don't know which words those are. So I have a mm-hmm. list. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know, also you know, the same thing is true with Irish and Scottish. You know, saying the Scots or oh, you know, like Scots and Protestant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, eh, or saying the Irish ah, like you know, Scots, you know, or Protestant, you hmm. know, uh, it, for the Southern Irish ah. So they'll mix that sometimes, you know, and just just get them confused. It's it's getting different dialects and accents confused with each other. You know um
0: gotcha and or then... or
2: with the British very often you'll get a mixture of cockney and RP where they think they're doing British so they're gonna take all the long vowels and turn them into the cockney long vowels so like a and o and I and when they're trying to do RP so they'll say the Rhine and in spine instead of the rain in Spain you know mm. even though they're trying to do RP right. so um thats yeah. or
0: so and and the way you you sort of disabuse them of these misconceptions is through your uh, the, the sixteen repeated files and the the sing song method to it's try to
2: 14. Oh, 14. 14. sorry
0: I'll get it uh, the
2: chanting um, well uh, you know it's a course of study I mean I feel like it's like learning to play a new instrument mm-hmm. and if you're willing to commit and give yourself the time you know. Uh, It ultimately takes us about a month per dialect for somebody to nail it well enough and go through this whole process of me correcting and then sending in the the corrected one and then um, me listening to that and then them Uh being able to then apply it to a new piece of copy. Uh You know, if you're willing to go through that, then by the end of 12 months, you have 12, a repertoire of 12 really solid dialects and accents that you will always have for the rest of your life. Because what we do is we take these springboards and we memorize them like that jingle from the 70s that you will never get out of your head. You know, <laughs> we, we, we like to be the purveyors of our own brain and say, okay, I'm going to stuff these things in my head and, and have them always at my disposal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so, so you can then grab them and, and roll with them.
0: I'm so grateful to Eliza for explaining her method for learning accents in such detail. Even with all she's given us to think about, I can tell she still has a mountain of knowledge and expertise that simply can't fit into a few podcast episodes. For instance, I really love her metaphor of treating every new accent like a different instrument that one needs to master. Many people think of accents as a sauce or an affectation that one puts on their normal acting in order to sound like a different character. Too often, actors who approach accents in this way find it difficult to truly master an accent and make it sound believable. It can feel like their accent is put on, and many quickly slide into caricature. By thinking of an accent like learning a new instrument, you can approach dialects with true humility and serious focus. To take the metaphor further, if you've learned to act well with your natural speaking voice, then that is analogous to learning how to play one type of instrument, say a piano. If you think of a new accent as simply a modification to your piano, your accent will always sound inauthentic. When you perform with that accent, the audience will be able to tell that you're actually playing the same instrument and that you haven't truly changed your manner of speaking. However. If you approach an accent as if it's a totally new instrument, say a violin, and you take the time to learn the specific nuances of that accent, then you'll have a much better chance of truly mastering that dialect and sounding believable. Acting with an accent isn't just about changing how you pronounce a few words. Truly mastering an accent means listening to others intently and doing your best to look at the world through their eyes. Not only do you need to listen to others in order to perform a dialect authentically, but you must also record and listen to yourself with rigor and discipline. When you study dialects with this level of commitment, you not only learn more about others, but you learn more about yourself in the process as well. In the next and final episode of our interview, Eliza and I discuss the emotional aspects of learning an accent. She also explains her system for describing tongue placement while performing and how it can help with one's study of dialects. As we wrap up our discussion, Eliza shares with me her advice for aspiring voice actors. If you find Eliza's methods inspiring and are interested in her accent and dialect training, please visit her website at www.dialectmasterclass.com. I hope you're all enjoying this interview. If so, I'd be grateful if you'd consider heading over to the iTunes store, looking up this podcast, and leaving me a nice review. You can rate the podcast using the 5-star system, and you can also leave comments to show your support. Just open up iTunes on your computer, go to the iTunes store, search for Voice Acting Mastery, and I'll pop up instantly. Once you've clicked on the podcast listing in the iTunes store, you should see a button that says, Write a Review. Click on that button to do just that. I'd like to reach as many people as possible with my podcast, and every positive comment you leave helps other aspiring voice actors find this information. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.
1: You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, Point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening.